When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Everything you do is making an impact in this world. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. How dare you? And I feel like it's my responsibility as a human being. So what? The world is at stake. You're listening to Eco Chic, a podcast about climate, sustainability, and eco-conscious lifestyles. What? Like it's hard? Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz, and it's so nice to have you here today. I hope you're doing well post-election week. I feel like I was so high stress this time last week, and now I don't know what to do with my time. I feel like I'm being unproductive because I'm not watching CNN 24-7, but it's probably for the best. And I just, I hope you're doing well. I hope you are assimilating well into your week. I feel like if I had a co-host, this would be the perfect time to kind of talk about what I've been doing since election season and how I'm feeling. And I'm feeling good. I am feeling like there has never been a better time to be a climate communicator. I feel like my work has been given a new refreshed sense of purpose and bearing. And I feel really good about the environmental future of America. And I am so proud to do the work that I do and bring as many people along as I can through this show. And I really hope that you learn a little something from me, if not today at some point, but hopefully today because we have a really, really good episode. We are speaking with Emily Stokel, the creator of the Pre-Loved Podcast. If you enjoy Eco Chic and you enjoy our fashion conversations, our conversations about the secondhand economy, I strongly believe that you will enjoy the Pre-Loved Podcast if you are not already listening to it. Pre-Loved is an awesome podcast where Emily really explores all of the subsections of the secondhand economy. So not just vintage shopping, thrift shopping, she also talks about what it means to really be an advocate for ethical factories or for garment workers. We do talk a little bit today about garment workers. We talk about sustainable thrifting and the gentrification of thrift. We talk a little bit about some nuances that kind of occur within the thrift community, like is it okay to thrift fast fashion? Does that really change the kind of consumer that you are, even if you are buying secondhand? And I'm really excited also to have had this conversation with Emily because we are Instagram friends. Like, I feel like we've really gotten to know each other via social media and we have interacted for quite some time, but this was the first time that we really had the opportunity to sit down and chat one-on-one, 
via FaceTime, via Zoom, etc. So it was really nice to have this episode recorded with her and just to have the opportunity to chat more about her expertise. And actually, this week I am on her show. So if you go to check out the Preloved podcast this week, I'm over there. We're talking about the secondhand economy, climate, and fashion, and all of those other intersections that I enjoy so, so much. If you are new to the show, we do have a couple of other episodes on secondhand shopping, how to thrift, thrifting for higher-end items, and I can link a couple of good suggestions in the show notes. And I'll also go ahead and share them on social media. If you want to follow along with this show, I am at Podcast. I'm primarily on Instagram. That's where I spend all of my time. But I am also on Facebook and Twitter, and you can find me online, and you can even email me if you are so inclined. So all of that information is always, always in the show notes. And if you enjoy today's episode, you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and make sure that you are subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts so that you never miss an episode of Ego Chic. And with that, let's just jump right into today's conversation. Emily goes ahead and introduces herself, and we have a lot of fun breaking down the thrift economy, secondhand shopping, what it means to be an ethical thrifter. We even talk a little bit about the influence of our grandmothers in our shopping habits. I feel like I'm constantly talking about my abuela lately, but I know that you guys appreciate it and I hope that you resonate with the story. So I'm excited for you to tune in and let's get into the conversation with Emily Stokel of the Pre-Loved Podcast. Emily, thank you so much for joining me today. I am incredibly excited about this. I'm really excited about it, too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining me. And I'm excited to be on your show after this. And I am so excited to do this episode with you, this little swap, because I feel like a lot of people in our audiences probably overlap. People who listen to my show probably listen to yours and vice versa. So before we get into it, for anyone who is not yet familiar with you, can you give a little bit of a rundown of the pre-loved podcast and your journey to it? Definitely. So hi, everyone. I'm Emily Stokel, and I'm the creator of Preloved Podcast. So Preloved Podcast is a weekly show all about the secondhand industry. So I talk about thrifting and vintage, but also just like elements of the secondhand industry, um, recycling and upcycling and how it's a global trade and come at it from all sorts of different angles. And Thrifting and secondhand is really how I got into sustainability and got into climate action on a larger scale. So it's been great for me to be able to focus on that space with the show. I love that you mentioned that thrifting was a little bit of a gateway to your climate activism, because I think you do an incredible job of climate activism, especially in the context of the fashion industry. I know that you're involved with the Sunrise Movement and you do so much on the ethical side of fashion. So I'm, I'm excited to really get into it with you because I feel like you are such an expert in so many different kinds of activism. Thank you so much. And yeah, exactly like I said, I mean, it all started with me for thrifting. That was the very first thing that I picked up in this space. I love that. Well, I guess I'm curious to know now a little bit about your journey to thrifting and your interaction with thrifting. Have you always been a thrifter? Have you always been one that shops secondhand? Did you grow up this way? Did you fall into it later in life? Like, what's the story with you and thrifting? Yeah, so I did not grow up thrifting. Um, I discovered thrifting, like I would say, in high school and college. Basically, like when I was wanting to shop for myself, but 
I didn't have a lot of money, you know, so I would turn to thrift as my way of getting to play with clothes and have something new in my closet that I could afford, right? And so I thrifted all throughout high school and college um, for kind of at the end of my college years. I was living in New York for a time. The thrifting there is obviously incredible. When I met my now husband, it was something that we used to do on dates together all the time. And um, so just have some really fun memories of thrifting in like my late teens, early 20s. Um, I also used thrifting and thrift shops to outfit like my first professional wardrobe after, you know, for my first job after college and to furnish my first apartment. So it, it brought me so much, you know, it made so much possible in my life. Um, and I just thought of it at first as a very like practical but also enjoyable outlet that has all changed for me now, obviously. Obviously, now it has a lot more of a mission and a purpose behind it for me. But yeah, that's how I got started. I feel very similarly about thrifting. I didn't grow up thrifting, but I feel like I fell into it for similar reasons that you did, especially when you get to that college age and you want to be able to participate in not necessarily even trendier clothing items but when you're figuring out what your true style is and who you are as an individual person when you get dressed I think that's so important because growing up it's very easy to fall into whatever the trend is of the time or if your parents are dressing you or whatever else it may be and when you get to the point where you're able to really form a wardrobe around the kind of person that you want to portray to the world thrifting is such a powerful way to do that. Oh yeah, I completely like figured out how I wanted to express and present myself through thrifting and it was really fun. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that so much <laughs> and I really resonate with that story. And I want to switch gears just a little bit because you mentioned that now thrifting for you has more of a mission behind it. Yeah. And you mentioned that thrifting has a little bit more reason. So would you say that thrifting for you now is more of an ethical choice, an environmental choice? Like, what do you feel like is your main mission when you thrift? Yeah. So I, like I said, I probably, I don't know if I think back to what years it was, I probably started thrifting like 2007, 2008, you know, so I did it for several years just because I thought it was fun and it made sense for me practically. But then in 2013, I had this big eye-opening moment of watching the true cost. And I know that this is something that lots of people in this space talk about is that documentary being so eye-opening to both the ethical and climate issues with the fashion industry. And I will say, so now I do participate in a lot of climate activism and I know we're going to talk about that but but for me what really clicked in the very beginning was um, the garment worker and the ethical side of the fashion industry and it goes back so my grandma was very involved in bringing me up and you know probably saw her six out of seven days of the week you know just like a third parent to me but she grew up very poor working class. She was a union organizer. She led labor walkouts. She helped organize the women who worked in her factory with her for equal pay to the men who worked in the factory. And, you know, this was in like the 70s, you know. So she's a true badass. Sorry, I don't know if I can curse on your show. But seeing some of the things that the garment workers go through, obviously, like, you know, my grandma is still around. She would talk to me about this. She would talk to me about the importance of unions and worker solidarity and collective bargaining and things like that. And so that that was really entrenched with me. So I really connected to the workers um, 
side of this. So the true cost was big for me. I started to understand or I started to want to understand more about like how did we get to this point. So the big book at the time was Elizabeth Klein's Overdressed book, which is excellent. I love her. She's she's such an expert in this space, but she kind of talked about like how fashion got to the point where it became so cheap and exploitative. And, you know, from there, it's just something that I've never turned back on. I couldn't go back to supporting an industry that puts people in danger in that way. And so for me, it just became thrifting was the answer for me because obviously I was still young, still working on a budget. Thrifting was what I could do to be able to completely boycott that industry. And I've never, never looked back. I love that so much. And I have to share with you a little bit of an opposite experience. Actually, I love that you connect so much with the workers through your grandmother because my grandmother also work she actually owned a factory she owned a factory in Miami and I mean she was the original like businesswoman special Uh seriously she employed only Hispanic women for the most part it was Miami and she's a Hispanic woman and she came from Cuba worked in a factory and it was like her American dream to start her own Uh business with a friend and I have such fond memories of my grandmother's factory when I was young, we would we would go to the factory. My grandmother was similarly to me, like a third parent, just took yeah. such great care of me. And when we would go to the factory, it was always like ethical. It was healthy. It was like m- my idea of factories at the time was just the same as my idea of like what people do when they go to an office. Like it was oh, fair wow. working yeah. conditions. Uh-huh. Like I had, I had just such a good idea of a factory. And it took me a long time to kind of come to terms with the idea when I got older that this is not normal. And she was not a perfect representation of the fashion industry as a whole. And they made a kind of higher end garments. So I guess that probably had something to do with it. But when you think about fast fashion and you think about putting the true cost and saying there is a human at the other end of Mm -hmm. this, it's so, so difficult to actually conceptualize what that means for a lot of people. Because I think it's in a sense, it's almost similar to veganism that when people see a cow escaping from a slaughterhouse, it's like this great happy news story but it's still hard to realize that you're contributing to that industry if you are. So I think to some extent, like the cognitive dissonance of people and garment workers is a really hard connection to make. Yeah. And I, too, I should say like, so my grandma didn't actually work in the fashion industry. She made carburetors, you know, it was like a very industrial factory, but just like that sense of like support for workers. I can remember as a kid, like taking cookies to people on picket lines, like it just was so important to me. And obviously, you know, I've done some episodes about this on my show about all the issues of labor. And obviously many of those issues have been exported now and really also compounded too, gotten a lot worse. Yeah, so it's just something that once you see it and if you feel it deeply in your heart and for for many people, it may be many different things, like you mentioned veganism, but it's one of those things that like once that hits you so close to your heart, you just can't, you can't unsee it. You can't turn back on it. Right, right. I feel the same way. It's hard to say I recognize that people are suffering for this particular brand or these particular clothing items or wherever it may be. And it's hard to say that, like, I recognize that and I'm okay with it. And I'm going to continue. I'm just going to pretend I don't know. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Right. That's awful. I guess the next thing I want to hear a little bit about, because you are so well-informed about garment workers and the ethical side of fashion, I would love to hear a little bit actually about some of the issues even in America when it comes to garment workers. And I know there's a lot of problems around even terms like made in LA and people thinking that they're buying into a really healthy ethical company when it's not always the case. So can you shed a little bit of light on that? Some of the perhaps underground garment worker issues? Yeah. So a lot of the activism that I do today surrounding garment workers is through a global nonprofit called Remake, a fashion nonprofit that is trying to challenge some of these issues, but they're really worker centered and um, are doing some great things. Perhaps people would have heard of their pay up campaign that helped unlock back owed wages to workers who were producing during COVID. Um, But another thing that they've been involved in that is domestic, like you mentioned, has been working alongside the Garment Workers Center um, on the Garment Worker Protection Act. So a little background on Made in America, Made in LA, how it could be still problematic today. So I think sometimes when we think of Made in America, we hold up this like glory day idea of things being made here. And if you're interested in this subject, I have an episode on my show about the International Garment Workers Union um, where we kind of talk about labor history and and, then the garment sector because it's always had problems. But we don't produce very much here anymore. Much of it is now produced overseas um, because the unionized workforce at the United States, as it was at the time, couldn't be balanced with the demand for cheaper and cheaper goods here. And so that labor was was moved to where um, that labor could be exploited for cheaper wages. But some um, clothing still is made in the United States. Most of it is made in Los Angeles. So when we talk about made in America, if we're talking about clothes, it's probably made in L.A. And it, it still has a lot of problems. Um, workers can sometimes be paid in cash, which makes them vulnerable to wage theft. They don't have worker protections, which has become a real issue with the pandemic. They're not having safe working conditions. And what these organizations, the Garment Worker Center and Remake and all the others who are involved in this campaign are trying to do with the Garment Worker Protection Act is two major things. They want to actually codify, like put into the legislation that brands and retailers would be directly liable for garment workers. So that would mean that, you know, we hear about these things in the fashion industry all the time where there is some harm done in a factory and somehow the brand, you know, say it's H&M's clothes. H&M kind of dances out of it by saying, well, it's our factory that we contract out to that actually caused that harm, you know? And so the brand kind of slips its way out of liability for this harm. So this would make brands um, and retailers liable for damages that are done in their factories that they subcontract out to. The second thing that the bill aims to do is deconstruct the piece rate system. So this is where garment workers are paid by piece rather than by hour. And this is kind of a loophole to minimum wage laws that they get around paying minimum wage to garment workers and instead pay them a price by the number of pieces that they produce, which of course causes them to work so many hours for so little. Um, The Garment Workers Center has done some research into this and it comes out on average to about $3 an hour. 
um, which obviously is significantly lower than a living wage, but even compared to the minimum wage in LA, which is $12 an hour, it's significantly lower than the legal minimum wage as well. But through this piece rate, they, they have found a loophole to be able to avoid that. So this Protection Act would bring those two things. Basically, it would like tighten up worker laws that are already on the books to eliminate those loopholes that brands are using to exploit. Wow. I think that people don't recognize how common pay for peace is. Yeah. 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 It's very common. And, you know, I think people can't wrap their head around that because they're like, well, we have a minimum wage law here. So what do you mean they're being paid $3 an hour? And like, it's these loopholes that companies have found to be able to continue to drive down that rate that they're paying people. So this bill went to the California legislature. Um, It didn't get heard in this legislative session. So there is still work to do advocating this, advocating for this. So if you're interested in getting involved, Garment Workers Center and Remake are doing some incredible work around this, especially if you're in California, please do get involved um, because we need this to be heard. We need this to pass, become law, and then we need this to become the standard for how things are handled in the United States. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I also love how current this all is. Like you are really so incredibly up to date and involved. And I appreciate that so much and you sharing your knowledge so much. And I'm curious to know a little bit now that we've talked about the issues domestically when it comes to garment workers and fair working conditions and fair pay. Is there ever a point where you are okay purchasing a textile or a piece of clothing from overseas? Do you have guidelines for yourself on brands that you support or what you look for in terms of brand commitments? Yeah, so I I do purchase some things from, you know, what I consider sustainable or ethical fashion brands. I would say like 95% of my wardrobe is still secondhand, but now that I'm not living on that college student budget, I do try to invest in some brands that I think are doing a really incredible job. When I am purchasing from a brand, whether it's overseas or whether it's in the U.S., I always look to see that they're either publishing wages or they have a commitment to a living wage. That's that's really important to me. Of course, there are other factors to consider too, the sustainable production factors, but bare minimum for me is that no person is being exploited in the making of this clothing. I appreciate that. I look for similar things because I think that transition out of a college student budget is a really tricky time for a lot of people. Because if you're buying secondhand out of necessity, out of financial necessity, that's one thing. But if you get to the point where you are making a little bit more money and you're saying, okay, I want to expand my wardrobe or I want to completely change my style or whatever it may be, I think that there is a lot of pressure to just start consuming things and there's a lot of pressure to just revamp everything and replace everything you own. So when you are shopping for quality pieces and ethical pieces, you know you're going to be paying a premium, mm-hmm. but you also know there's there's a reason and you know what that cost is all entailing, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say investment, I mean, I do think about it that way. Like I don't purchase pieces like that 
often, but when I do, I really consider that I want my purchase to actually like fund what this business is doing. You know, I believe in what they're doing. I believe in what they're creating. I believe in who they are as a brand and I want to back that. And so, yeah, I mean, if I'm, if I'm purchasing like four new things a year, for example, like I would be really careful about which companies I'm investing in. And the majority of the rest of it is is still secondhand because I find it so darn fun. But but I do think that it is important um, as we become better resource to put value back into the brands that we think are giving value to the world. I love that. That's such a good line that's like a little soundbite I'll have to make for this episode (laughs) that's awesome because you're right it's really a matter of saying okay where do I want my dollars to go and I also think that no matter how frequently we say it in our circles the general public it's it's very hard to believe that your dollar is genuinely impacting someone else or genuinely impacting a brand but at the end of the day it's always supply and demand it's where do you want your money to go what kind of brands do you want to see in the marketplace And how do you want to support the brands that are already there? So I think just giving people some bearing to their dollars and making people understand that their vote, quote unquote, their shopping habits really do hold weight is really important in this conversation. Yeah. And I also completely acknowledge that the ability to vote with your dollar is something that comes with privilege and that that is not possible for everyone. Um, And so I think that that's something that I just want to acknowledge, but I think that there are other options out there if it's important for you that what you're spending money on is not expletive. It's it, it's important for you to know that there's options out there for you. I'm really, really glad that you mentioned privilege because I have been thinking a lot about not just my own privilege as a white woman or as someone who can purchase from ethical brands. But I'm interested in privilege as a topic, especially when it comes to thrifting and buying secondhand, because there's a lot of conversation right now around ethical thrifting Mm -hmm. and making sure that you are shopping secondhand in a way that is not promoting exploitation Mm -hmm. of a lot of these marginalized communities. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that, just like ethical thrifting. Yeah, so the gentrification of thrift is something that I've been hearing a lot of people talk about lately, and it's something that I would really, really like to dive in and do some really detailed research into myself, because the argument there is that the more people thrifting is causing the price of secondhand pieces to go up and it's also causing a shortage of those pieces or especially quality pieces to be available for people who need them and and i can definitely see that 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 is happening that prices are going up and i can see that people are going into thrift stores and they're purchasing things for resale and so i i do completely understand that argument and i think it's important just as with anything, to just be conscious and to purchase what you need, um, to not overconsume, to slow down. There is just so much out there, you know, there's so much out there, but we don't need to buy everything that we see, even if what we're seeing is good or cool or fun. It's okay sometimes to just see it and think that it's good or cool or fun, you know, but I think sometimes we're so 
it's so ingrained in us that to like collect or consume and then we're not thinking about that we're making that unavailable for someone else if that makes sense absolutely that makes sense I think that you really hit the nail on the head by saying that you can recognize and admire an item that you have and you don't necessarily need it in your closet and I think that there are certain things that when you find a quality piece at a thrift store I'm thinking of denim jackets like Mm -hmm. I love to thrift denim jackets Mm -hmm. but it gets to a point that once you have you know three how many more do you really need? Do you need to keep buying them? Do you need to continue to try on every single one that you see? So I think just consciously being like, not only do I not need to purchase this item just because I found it or just because I found a quality version of it, but also what does my closet realistically need? What can I actually wear? And thrifting, not just for the sake of thrifting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that kind of conscious mindset is super important and something that everyone can be aware of. I wish I had more numbers or information to share about kind of the gentrification aspect. It's something that I really am still learning about and want to do more research into, but I do think that it is important and it is something that, you know, when I talk about the secondhand industry, I think it's a it's okay to love something, but then also unpack its problems too, you know? So like, I want to unpack if there are issues with the prices of thrift store charity shop garments being driven up. I want, because I'm passionate about this industry, I want to explore that and I want to know about that and I want to share that with other people, you know? So that is something that I want to look into more and I want to be highlighting more in the future. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we got the opportunity to to talk about that briefly. And and I think, you know, the, the thing that people can put into practice from this is just that more conscious mindset. Yeah, I think that's an excellent place to just to encourage the audience to go, quite frankly. I have also looked into the issues around the gentrification of thrifting. And I, I hope I don't, I hope I didn't put you on the spot. No, but you're I fine. have not found, I have not found any concrete like research data numbers. I hope that someone is dedicating their time to it and collecting that information because I feel as though right now it's a conversation that is being brought up more and more, but not, not in a concrete you know, research backed sense, which I think is really difficult for a lot of people to get behind when there is some sort of a societal problem that people can't see numbers behind or research Mm -hmm. behind. And I think a lot of the time, especially in sustainability or in the climate conversation, when people recognize something is happening, that's one thing. But when you can actually back yourself up with numbers and science, they feel so much better about actually taking action around it. Yeah, and that that's why I feel like it's important for that to be something that I'm looking into more so then I'm able to articulate about that argument a little a little bit more clearly, but I absolutely feel like it's something that we need to be aware of, especially as promoters of secondhand, you know, that we need to be I need to be aware of all the complications that it brings about too. Right, right, absolutely. And switching gears just a little bit, I feel like as a secondhand expert, you must get asked all the time how to get into thrifting because oh. we've acknowledged that there's issues. It's becoming yeah. more and more trendy, but I'm sure people all the time are like, I want to do it, but I just don't know how, or I'm just not good at thrifting. I hear that yeah. all the time. I'm just not good at buying things secondhand. Yeah. What are your go-to tips for people who want to get into shopping secondhand? How do you, how do you manage to shop secondhand in a way that 
is friendly in terms of what your personal style is and actually stands for conscious consumption. Yeah. So this is not the way that I thrift because when it's not COVID, I love to just like explore the aisles of the thrift store and look through every single piece, you know, but I know that that's not for everyone. So if you're new to it and you don't know how to get into it, what I would actually suggest that you do is search on an app like Depop for the brands that you're already shopping. So if you're a big J Crew person, look for J Crew in Depop, filter out your sizes and then shop those exact same pieces that are available to you retail secondhand. You'll save money by doing it. You won't back those brands that are being exploitative. You're already aware of what your sizing is in those brands if that's a brand that you shop for frequently right now. Um, So really all that you're doing is seeking out those brands through a secondhand platform instead of shopping online. And I think it's as simple as changing your search engine, essentially, you know, changing where you're searching for those brands. So that would be my biggest suggestion for people. I mean, no, you're not going to find the newest drops, but I mean, sometimes you will find stuff that is literally still listed on the store's website at that moment, but also on a secondhand platform. So you really can find things that are current, things that you recognize from that brand, things that you know are in your size. And I would just recommend making that swap first. That's an easy, easy place to start. There's truly never been a simpler time to start shopping secondhand. Like you said, it's just a matter of switching your search engine. So I have kind of a tricky question for you. Mm, And mm -hmm. this there's no right or wrong answer. How do you feel about buying fast fashion brands secondhand? I do it. Yeah. Because I know that if I'm purchasing it, so I will say I do purchase fast fashion brands secondhand. Like it's not like I'm seeking them out, mostly because it's not my style as much. I'm into like a much more retro vibe. So mostly I'm not seeking it out. But if I come across something in a thrift store and the label is a brand that I would not support firsthand, that wouldn't stop me from buying it in a thrift store because that item's already been produced. I'm not putting any money into that brand, and I'm basically taking that item out of the waste stream, essentially. Um, And if I'm going to put it in my closet and wear it and love it and it doesn't get wasted, then I don't have any problem with that personally. I appreciate that. I don't have any problem with it either when I thrift and I see a fast fashion brand that's not something that puts me off to the particular piece just like you said and I didn't really think that much of it until recently and I I saw an article and it was talking about the ethical nature of thrifting about how do you choose what brands you support when you are thrifting and I think the way that you phrased it just saying you have this opportunity to take something out of the waste stream Mm -hmm. is so incredibly important because I think a lot of people, as we talk more and more about the issues with fast fashion, we are talking more about the waste side of fashion. The fact that there are plenty of garments that get thrown to a landfill if they're not sold in a reasonable amount of time. There are plenty of, even just on the production side of things, textile waste that goes along with that. I think the average lifespan of a t-shirt, please correct me if you know the proper stat, but I think it's like a t-shirt gets worn seven times before it gets sent to a landfill. I think people have a hard time also conceptualizing what that really looks like. Landfill bound fashion. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think um, if people are looking to learn more about the waste element of the secondhand industry, I would, for my show, I would highly recommend the two episodes that I did this season one featuring Liz Ricketts um, from The Ore is Present, and she talks about waste and colonialism and how we're exporting our waste. And then I also interviewed some folks who are working in the secondhand fashion industry in Accra, Ghana, because a lot of our exported clothing from the United States ends up in Accra, Ghana, specifically in the Contamanto market. And so I interviewed some folks who either sell in that market, some folks who buy from that market and upcycle and do really cool and creative things with it, but just kind of to, to give people an idea of the sheer amount of clothing, how it has changed over time. One of the sellers, David, speaks about how his family's been in this business for 30 years and he really describes how much the quality of the clothing has degraded, but the amount has gone up, you know, so there's some real real first-hand accounts of this on these two episodes. So it's a two-part series, Liz Ricketts, and then the episode with folks from Accra, Ghana. And I would highly recommend those if you're interested in the waste and reuse and kind of the global circular fashion system. I like that. I like that a lot. And I think that's an excellent place to leave the audience, actually, giving them recommendations of things to find on your show. I have to say, I love the pre-loved podcast because you do find such yeah. very niche stories yeah, i think that you, you you have allowed the pre-loved conversation to be so incredibly multifaceted and i love about your show like i i really do love what you're doing and i think there is such a need for more people reporting in your style so thank you so much thank you and thank you for having me on and i'm really excited to have you on pre-loved podcast as well I hope you enjoyed that episode with Emily Stokel of the Pre-Loved Podcast. Like I mentioned, I am on Pre-Loved Podcast this week, so you can find that wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this very show. And if you've made it this far, make sure that you have rated and reviewed Eco Chic on Apple Podcasts. Helps me out a lot. Send it to a friend. I feel like this is an awesome one to send to a friend. I say that every week, but send it in your group chat. Get everyone on board. And I look forward to connecting with you on social media and hearing your thoughts and hearing what you want to hear next because like I said, I feel pumped and refreshed and ready to be the very best climate communicator, climate educator that I can possibly be for you. So thanks again so much for tuning in and I will see you next week. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.